Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and I are going to be talking about Sea Otter 2017. Aaron and I were just out at Sea Otter in Monterey, California about 10 days ago, and we thought we would recap some of what we saw. A lot of the things we're going to be talking about we've already written up on Single Tracks, so you can get more details about the things we're talking about there um, and see photos and all that kind of stuff. So the first question that everybody asks, and even among media people that we see out at the show, the end of every day is, what's the most interesting thing that you saw? So Aaron, what was the most interesting thing that you saw over the couple of days that we were out there? For me, it was two bikes from two different manufacturers, but they share a new suspension platform. So that would be the Marin Wolf Ridge and the Polygon Square One. And they're using a really unique suspension system called React Two Play. And it's got like a three instead of the E and the number two in it. So it's kind <laughs> of, it's kind of a mouthful, but yeah, really interesting bikes. The Polygon is a 180 mil travel 27.5 front and rear. And the Marin is a 29er with 160 front and rear travel. But the thinking behind these bikes is that they're such efficient pedalers that, you know, you can, you can do everything on it. You know, maybe everything short of cross country racing, but you know, this can be your trail bike. This can be your enduro bike. This could be your bike park bike. So yeah, it's really interesting concept and, um, interested to, get on these things hopefully later this summer when they become available. Yeah, those suspension systems definitely look really new and interesting. So yeah, it'll be cool to see how that rides in real life. So for me, it was the most interesting thing I came across was a product called Core, And it's a foam insert that you put on your rim on your mountain bike. And it basically acts as a damper on your tire. So the company claims that typical air-filled tire works basically as just an air spring. So that's why, you know, if you've ever ridden a fat bike at low pressures, you know that, that it bounces a lot. So you get a lot of bounce out of a typical tire. But by adding this insert, they're claiming you get a little bit of bounce, but you also get some damper from the foam as well. And what this allows you to do is to run even lower pressures without having stuff like tire squirm and, you know, sidewall deflection. So I tooled around on a bike that had that installed on it a little bit and it felt pretty good. You know, obviously more testing is needed to see how it really performs, but the bike that I was riding had, it only had like 17 PSI in the tire, which for me, that's, that's pretty low. I run mine much higher typically. So, but it felt like my normal pressure, which is, you know, upper twenties. So anyway, it's hard to explain, but, but yeah, it looks really promising. The one question I had was whether it made it harder to change your tire. And I was told that there is a special technique to it, but that once you get it down, it doesn't add any time. And then also the weight is a concern as well, but supposedly the, the insert weighs about as much as a tube and you can only run it with tubeless tires. So, um, you're kind of getting that weight back, but then also potentially able to run a less burly wheel set, they say, and you can also run lighter weight tires, which are going to have, you know, thinner sidewalls and stuff. So interesting. One of the other 
things that a lot of, I heard a lot of chatter among the media folks about was the one up EDC, which is uh, like their line of tools that you can put in your bike frame, like in different places. And the one that everybody was so excited about was this tool set you can slip into your stem. Like you pull your stem cap off and you can hide your little multi-tool in your bike, not your stem, but your, your uh, fork steer. Your fork steer. Yeah, that's what it is. Maybe somebody should do one in the stem, you know? You just take the bars off and you can get your, <laughs> get your tool out. Well, you need a tool to get your bars off, right? Dang it. Well, anyway, yeah, I just thought it was funny because, you know, we've seen this from a lot of people, you know, specialized with their SWAT system, you know, that's in the frame, different part of the frame. Topeak has a number of these things. I'm pretty sure they had one in the stem, if not the handlebars. They had some tools you could stick into your bar ends. And then, I don't know if people saw this, but I think we wrote it up or maybe we just posted on the forums, but there was like a Kickstarter for some knives that you could put in your handlebars and like whip them out like from the bar ends. Like they have some kind of quick release. So like, you know, if you need to battle a bear or something. And I think the same company, they had like uh bear spray that you could put in. Anyway, suffice it to say, People have been doing this for a little while now, and it's just, I don't know how practical it is. Would you run something like that, Aaron? Uh, I mean, possibly. Uh, I don't know. Multi-tools are pretty pretty small and you know easy to carry as it is. I use I either use a jersey pocket or my super sweet fanny pack or like a backcountry research strap because you can strap a tube and CO2 cartridges and a multi-tool all together. So... Yeah, and I mean that can go underneath your your saddle, or if you have room on your down tube somewhere, you can strap it on. So, yeah, I mean I'm I'm a big fan of getting weight off your back and out of your pockets as much as possible. So, I don't. It seems, you know, I didn't I didn't get a chance to see it in person, but yeah, it could be a viable option for some folks. Yeah, and also let's not forget the Industry Nine, the matchsticks. Oh, that's right, another a, one. Yeah, through axle that has tools inside of it. Right. So yeah. Yeah, there's there's much innovation in stuffing tools into bikes. <laughs> Rest assured. Okay, so what about uh were there any sort of overall trends at Sea Otter this year? I know from past shows, I mean it seems like the last few years, every show we go to, there's a different thing, you know, whether it's fat bikes or plus tires or twenty nine or wheels or, you know, different stuff. So was was there anything like that this year, you think? Maybe. I I think E-bikes were even bigger. I think e-bikes were the maybe the trend last year, and then this year there was just more of them. It seemed like everybody and his brother had a e-bike out there this year. So maybe maybe less of a trend and just of a hey, e-bikes are not going anywhere, like it or not. Otherwise, yeah, uh, there was a lot of carbon wheel companies there. I noticed. I got to talk to a couple of them, but yeah, it seems like. Uh, I, again, like everybody and their brother has a has a wheel company at this point. So, yeah, some some cool things happening on that front. People are trying to bring the price of carbon down, which is good because you know we all like carbon, but it can be very expensive. So, good to see some some competition in that arena. Yeah, the one thing that I sort of noticed was a lot of companies are starting to do these like mid mid fat tires. So. <laughs> He didn't stutter. He no. meant mid mid fat. Yes, mid mid fat. So, plus minus. Plus minus. Yeah, is that somebody was calling it that, weren't they? I don't know. Well, we just did. There you go. 
you heard it here first. So what we're talking about, (laughs) (laughs) what you're talking about, what we're talking about is, uh, so you got fat bikes, right? Everybody knows what fat bike is. Mid fat was plus bikes because it's in between fat and regular. And so now we're seeing tires, especially at the 29er diameter that are coming in at like 2.5, 2.6 inches wide. And talking to a lot of people, it seems like they are confident that this is going to be sort of where things end up, um, that, you know, people are finding plus was a little bit too wide. Like they like the extra volume and the extra width, but it's just a little too wide. So 2.5 and 2.6 seems to be maybe a, a medium to the medium point. <laughs> <laughs> They're Husky tires. Right. And also along with that, a number of people were saying that even among plus sizes, so 27.5 by three was originally considered plus, but a lot of people are saying that the three inch width may be sort of disappearing or at least falling out of favor um, in terms of tire widths. People want 2.8s. Yeah, I mean, that's what we've seen on the vast majority of plus bikes that we've tested. They've all been 2.8 inch tires. You know, they, a lot of times companies will tout that they have clearance for three inch or 3.25 inch tires, but if you actually see people out riding plus bikes, Essentially, no one is riding a, a three-inch tire. I mean, I, th- I think there will be a small market for that, maybe in the the bike packing crowd, especially where you know, perhaps you don't want something as large as a fat bike tire. You want something a little more nimble. But but yeah, so that that was really interesting to see. Like, I would I would agree that tires and and kind of wheel tech and wheel accessories were were a big thing at this year's show. I'm pretty excited for the 2.6 size to at least try it out. You know, I've tried plus on, on numerous different bikes now and it's still not my favorite thing just because, you know, I end up having to run really high pressures. You get tire bounce and you don't have the best traction. Yeah. So maybe, maybe 2.6 is the answer or maybe something like the Cush Core system, which can provide you know, that sidewall stability while running low pressures. Cause that's my biggest thing with plus is in the corners, you get the tire, you know, it folds over, you get squirm. It, you know, it messes with your suspension, messes with your head because <laughs> you're, you're, you're not sure how the, the bike's going to react when you're going into a corner, which is not what you want. You don't want to be thinking about that while you're riding. You just want to ride. So yeah. So may, maybe some of these products will, will kind of speed up the tire tech and get them to where the bikes are because it always kind of seems like the tires kind of lag behind other trends in the industry you know like when bikes get more travel and they get more capable it seems like it takes a maybe a season or two for the the tires to be able to match the performance of the bikes because you know a lot of a lot of people who aren't big on plus it's it's largely because of the tires and to make a tire that's not going to fold over in the corners and it's, it's you know going to be durable in really rocky terrain it's going to be a really heavy tire, you know? So if you're talking about putting a thousand or 1200 or more gram tire on your bike, that's a pretty hard sell when, you know, I can ride an eight or 900 gram tire on my 29er and be faster and be more confident. So yeah, so we'll see how this all shakes out, but it, it really just seems like there's, there's tires from two to 5.05 inches at this point, you know, whatever increment you want and 10th of an inch, there's a tire for you. Yeah, my only concern with the new 2.5 and 2.6 inch tires is it's really hard to know what bikes that's going to fit. You know, I, for me, I, I would think, oh, maybe it'll fit my 29er, but it'll depend on your bike. And 
you know, it's not necessarily a plus bike now too, that you're running these on, I guess. Right. Yeah. I, well, maybe it's time for you to get a new bike, Jeff. Well, no, I can fit <laughs> fat tires. I'm saying though, like it's, you can it's fit, not clear. Like, right. like, do you need a plus bike to run these tires or can you run it on a standard bike? Some of them I think you can and some of them you can't. Yeah. I think for, you know, bikes that are maybe a couple few years old at this point, you, it, it may be a game of trial and error, but I think with most modern bikes moving to boost, boost space forks and, you know, boost space rear ends that you'll, you'll have that clearance. And then, you know, of course, if, if 2.6 does become the kind of dominant size, then you will see companies account for that. Like with Ibis with their new generation of the Ripley, they increased the, the tire clearance in the rear triangle. So they could clear up to a 2.6 inch Schwabe. So, so we shall see. Moving on to bicycles, because that's what we're all about. What Did you get to ride any mountain bikes while you were at Sea Otter? Kind of. You know, we were only there for, for two days of the show, so it was a quick trip, and I was trying to pack as light as possible. So I left all my riding gear at home, but I did get talked into riding the Cannondale Motera, which is an e-bike, and this was my first ride on an e-mountain bike. Did it blow you away? No, sadly. <laughs> uh, it, it really didn't. I mean, it was, you know, it was granted, like, take all this with, you know, a bunch of grains of salt. I only rode it for, I don't even know, maybe 15, 20 minutes on a very, very short test loop that they had at Sea Otter. So, yeah. I mean, it was cool. Like, the novelty was cool for a second. And then this other kid showed up and he was on I don't, some sort of, I don't even know, it looked like a you know, a garage project e-bike. It looked like a downhill bike, essentially. Um, it had a, a dual crown fork on it, and I think it had 26-inch wheels and big old tires, but it was a full throttle e-bike. Like, this guy was not pedaling at all. Yeah, he was roosting the oh, yeah. the mulch over there. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was, like, nailing the corners and spraying mulch. And so, yeah, once I saw that, I was kind of like, oh, like, now I just want, now I just want a throttle. So, when not, why, you know, why not cut out the middleman and, and just get a moto. So yeah, I, I don't know. It like I said, it didn't it didn't change my life as you know many companies will have you believe that e bikes will do. So yeah, but so jury's jury's still out on on e bikes for me. Yeah, I'm with you. I also rode an e bike. Those the only bikes I rode at Sea Otter this year were e bikes. And you rode a bunch of them, right? I did sort of. So let me explain. Uh, <laughs> so, so I haven't. I actually rode an e-bike for the first time in 2013 at Interbike. Uh, so almost four years now, three and a half years ago, and I haven't ridden one since. And so I figured it's time to give it a try again, see if anything's changed, uh, see if my opinions of them have changed. Um, and so I rode the Trek Powerfly 8, which is their full suspension e-mountain bike, 130 millimeters of travel, and... I, I took it on a long ride. I took it out. I don't know if I was supposed to do this or not, but I took it out on like the main trails there at Fort Ord. Did, I skipped the e-bike test loop and I went on a ride. I went like 15 miles or so on this thing, um, on single track and everything. Actually, I have an email into the local club to see if what I did was illegal. Uh, <laughs> so stay tuned to that because it is BLM land and the BLM classifies e-bikes as motorized vehicles and the trails at Fort Ord are closed to motorized vehicles. So 
Maybe there's a thing in place for the event, hopefully. <laughs> Just going to get us banned from yeah, Seattle. <laughs> I'm just going to get a ticket in the mail, apparently. But, uh, but anyway, so I rode, I rode that bike and I liked some things about it. So I liked the fact, especially there at four door that it was kind of like a fast forward button for like the fire roads and the, you know, just the boring stuff to get me to the single track. Cause the, like the spot where the venue is for Sea Otter is kind of far out from the good single track. So it's, it's at least like a three ish mile ride with some pretty big hills, uh, all exposed and, you know, just, just not very pleasant riding to get to a good single track. So it was awesome having the e-bike, you know, to zip me past the boring stuff to get to the single track. But then once on the single track, you know, the bike rode like a inexpensive full suspension bike, you know, and, and by that, I mean, it, you know, it's heavy. The shocks weren't tuned great. And maybe that was just how the bike was set up for me. Although we did spend a long time dialing it in, but still just the, the kinematics are weird, I guess is a way to say it um, because of all the weight and the weird places the weight is placed. So yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't super stoked on the single track, but it was, it was still fun. It was cool to be able to get out to it really quickly and, and be able to ride it. And then coming back. So the single track dumps you out like kind of at a low point. And actually Aaron was texting me because he needed me to drive him over to a different event. And so I was like, Oh shit, I gotta get, I gotta get back. So I took the like most direct fire road, like to get back. And it was uphill. I mean, it probably, it seems like it climbs a thousand feet or something. So it's, or maybe more. I don't know. Maybe that's, I'm underselling it, but it's, it's a big climb that would take me a long time to do. But I just put it like in turbo mode and, you know, started cranking up this hill and I was working hard. Like I was, I was, you know, kind of at my limit. I was really sweating, but I was passing guys like three, four times as fast as they were going. Like, and, and the dirty looks that I got were like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I felt so bad. And I apologized. Every person I was like, I'm sorry, I'm on an e-bike. Like, <laughs> these guys, I mean, you could just see like the defeat on their faces because they're slogging up this hill and, you know, they were going to be there at least like another 30 or 45 minutes climbing this hill. So yeah, I felt guilty about it. I, I had a lot of like battery. Anxiety. anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> that's the word. Like, yeah, was worried the whole time. Like, oh, am I using too much battery? Am I going to be able to get back? Um, so that kind of harshed the ride for me a little bit. So yeah, that was, that was my experience with the Trek Powerfly. And so after doing that review and talking to some people, you know, I found out there are a number of different motor systems that are on the market, uh, with each with kind of their own pros and cons. And so I decided, I want to get a sense of all four of these. So I jumped on three other e-bikes, each one running different systems. So the Trek has the Bosch on it. Uh, there's one called a Broza. That's like a Italian company. So I rode a fanatic bike with a Broza on it. And then I rode Bull's bike that had the Shimano steps system and a high bike with a Yamaha motor in it. So yeah, I don't know if I learned a lot by the end of it. I really didn't like e-bikes. I, I mean, and, and well, you learned something then. Yeah, I consider myself to be open-minded about it, and I still don't have any problem with anybody who wants to ride one. Uh, it's just for me, it's not fun. Like the I don't, and I think maybe they will get more fun as the bikes get dialed in. You know, I mean, the I mean, first mountain bikes were probably fun too. So yeah. <laughs> maybe it's not a good comparison, but. 
yeah, there's still a ways to go and they're still heavy and kind of awkward. And the motors, they aren't, they aren't that awesome either. You know, a lot of them, there's delay in when it kicks in. And so like the pedaling can be awkward and some of them are loud and some of them drag when you go downhill, which really sucks. I think all of them do except the Broza. So like if you're going downhill, you can feel it like it's like engine braking. Yeah, it's engine braking. Yeah, there's like magnets or something. I was told that they don't disengage uh, when you're going downhill, except on the Broza. Uh, so that one did have like more natural feeling to it. But anyway, yeah, I rode a lot of e-bikes, and I probably won't ride e-bikes for a long time after this. <laughs> okay, so let's run down some of the other things that we saw at Sea Otter this year. What'd you see, Aaron? I saw a bunch of stuff. Both days we were there. It's pretty chock full of meetings so running around and tried to schedule a little bit of time to float around and, and catch new stuff because sometimes if you if you have too many meetings you may miss out on some some interesting things that uh that you didn't know existed but yeah i already mentioned the uh, marin wolf ridge and polygon square one so it's cool to see those bikes in person you know personally i think they're i think they look pretty badass uh, especially the polygon it just looks like it looks like the future so Hopefully they uh, they ride as well as everyone says. Well, not everyone, but as well as the companies say they do. So, yeah, I saw some douchebags. <laughs> uh, Aaron. I know, I know. Um, but no, literally, there's a company called Douchebags, and they make a variety of travel bags, and they were showing off their new, it's called The Trail, and it's their travel bike bag. And it was a really nice sleek clean looking system you know your bike is very well protected companies out of norway i believe super friendly guys they weren't douchebags at all um so kind of an odd name obviously but uh but some very nice looking product nonetheless i did check out the new e-bikes from raleigh and izip so they're uh, kind of sister brands i guess they're just they're the same bikes they just have different paint jobs basically so they have a plus hardtail a fat bike the fully rigid fat bike and a full suspension 27.5 trail bike that are e-bikes so they look look pretty good um i think i think they were all using the the bosch motor on them and yeah and they're they're fairly competitive in terms of the price point um i saw a couple really cool steel bikes if you guys have read any of my stuff, you guys know that I really like, I like hardtails, I like steel, and I got to see the Fat Chance Yo Eddy 2.2, so that's kind of a, some of the, some of our older listeners may be familiar with the Fat Chance bikes from back in the day, but uh, Chris Chance has relaunched his company, I think in 2015 was there, was the uh, relaunch of the brand, and this is just the latest update to the bike, so they kind of tweak some things they added clearance for it's a 29er but it also has clearance for up to a three inch plus tire but just beautiful bikes the ones they had there on hand where they had these really nice like two color fade paint jobs and just gorgeous so those are really cool and then i saw a new company to me uh proudfoot cycles they're out of golden colorado and they are actually making steel Full suspensions, like the whole the front and rear triangle are steel. So I talked to the to the to the guy that owns the company there and his wife, and they were both super friendly and yeah, very like very cool looking bikes, just very simple, clean, pretty. They use small tubes, so they they 
they just, I don't know, they have a very classic look to them. And I, and the guy that owns the company, you know, he's got a aerospace engineering background. So I, I think he knows his stuff because I was kind of, you know, everyone thinks that steel is really flexy, but it's not. And, you know, he was showing me that, you know, how they build the rear triangle. It's, it's, just a bunch of triangles and you know, they don't use any bent tubes or any kind of funky curves or anything like that. So it's, it's a very strong structure. So that was cool. And everything is made there in one house in golden Colorado. So how much travel did those bikes have? I want to say it was around five inches front and rear. Um, yeah. So just, just a good all around trail bike they were doing. The one I saw was a plus bike, but the, it'll also fit 29 inch wheels and they also had a fat bike so i believe they make like a road and cross bike too but i didn't see them there so yeah so another a cool company they're based out of golden colorado which is where you know yeti is and some other bike companies so spot spot let's see there you go so uh moving on what else i see i saw rotor cranks which is a brand out of spain i believe and they are Big into the oval chain rings. I think they call them Q rings though. And the kind of their, their take on it is you can clock the ring to different places. Um, you know, whereas most oval chain rings, they only go on one way. And if it's not right for your particular pedal stroke, then it can feel weird. Um, which I actually rode, they had a bike and a stand and I, and they had it. They also do power meters, and they have this really cool software for their road power meters, where it gives you left and right leg power, so you can see, you know, you can see where in your pedal stroke is the strongest, and like which leg is stronger, and like where's your flat spots. And granted, like I was just you know in my flat shoes and not all kitted up or anything, and just riding some random bike, but you could see that I wherever the the rings were positioned on that particular bike, like wasn't correct for me. So it kind of felt like this clunk. And they're saying like, yeah, if we took the cranks off and we clocked the chain ring to a different position, then that should smooth that out because you know they, they claim that if you have a, an oval chain ring in the correct position, it should just, it, you shouldn't feel anything weird at all. So they also, you know, they make some, a few different mountain cranks, uh, one, including one with a power meter and, they also do these like kind of cool little rubber boots, you know, that, that go on not just on the end of the crank arms, but like up further on the crank arm as well to kind of help prevent shoe rub and also just to look cool. So you can, you can match your bike. So, uh, I need some of those. I got mad shoe rub. Yeah. Yeah. You're a crank rubber. I am. Uh, I'm not for whatever reason. So, or at least most of them, I guess some of the, uh, kind of like fatter armed, carbon cranks i have i have rubbed and speaking of cranks i also went by fsa and they've got a new um, modular crank system so kind of similar to the uh, race face cranks where instead of a two-piece crank where the the spindle is you know somehow permanently attached to one of the crank arms the the spindle and the crank arms are all separate so they're really adaptable so you can put them on a wide variety of bikes like if you have boost space bike or a fat bike or whatever you just get the appropriate spindle that you need and they were also showing a $300 dropper post so pretty stoked on that to see more more competition in the dropper post market uh what else 
Saw some really cool tools from Abbey Bike Tools. It's a company out of Bend, Oregon. They make some really high-quality, precision bike tools kind of for very specific tasks currently. So it's not like cable cutters and, you know, that kind of, you know, more generic shop tasks that you might be able to get tools from Park or Pedro's or whatever. They're showing that it's their suspension tools. So they have these really nice sockets for taking off the top caps on forks for, you know, if you're going to change you, you're going to change the uh, air volume or whatever inside your fork and you want to add more tokens. Like I know from personal experience, I had to go to like an auto parts store to find a socket that would fit, you know, and uh, then they have chamfered edges and they can chew up your, your top cap because those things are really low profile nuts. So they have just really nice precision tools. So if you're into, if you're a tool nerd like me, check out Abbey Bike Tools for sure. They were serving like Belgian beer in their booth or something, weren't they? They got like the whole monastic theme and everything. They didn't tell me. Yeah, maybe maybe they're just saving that for their good customers. <laughs> I guess uh, it was kind of early in the morning. I don't uh, I don't know if I could uh, do a Belgian beer in the blazing sun at 10 a.m. So, uh, what else did I see? I saw. Oh, this is pretty cool. I'm not a fat biker. I kind of like to poke fun at them, but it's okay. I don't really hate them. Uh, <laughs> but Manitou has a new fat bike fork, which is pretty cool because, uh, you know, RockShox Bluto has pretty much been the only, you know, widely available fat bike fork you can get, which has always struck me as kind of odd because everyone says that f- fat bikes are, you know, it's a huge growing segment and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a huge, boon to a lot of companies um so it's been surprising that it's only been uh the bluto for so many years but uh manitou released the mastodon and this thing is massive i mean that's why i stopped i was walking by the the uh, manitou booth and i just saw this gigantic fork uh in a stand and i was like what is that but it uses 34 millimeter stanchions instead of 32 that you'll find on the bluto which just seems to make more sense Mm -hmm. with you know, you're pushing all that rubber around, but it has clearance for up to a 5.15 inch tire. So it's just, yeah, it's just absolutely massive. Does it have the reverse crown? It does. Okay. Yeah. So it's got that classic, uh, the classic Manitou aesthetic to it. So they're making two models of it. They have a pro and a comp pro gets all the you know, all their fancy tech. It gets their Dorado air spring, which is, uh, originally off their, downhill fork so and pretty competitively priced i think the pro was 850 retail and the comp was 650 another cool thing about that fork is you it comes in either 100 or 120 millimeters of travel if you get the 100 you can drop it down to 80 if you need to um, but if you get the 120 you can go up to uh you can increase travel up to 140 so Whoa. i don't know if anyone's getting that rad on fat bikes yet but okay. now you can so that's pretty cool Otherwise, I saw uh, a new lifestyle apparel clothing company called Tasco MTB. And yeah, I just happened to walk by and see those guys at a cool booth. And um, I'm actually wearing uh, some of their socks right now and they're super comfy, but they make, you know, shirts and hats and stuff like that. But they just uh, launched a line of, of like matching socks and gloves. So cool guys, cool company, cool products. Check them out. And then finally, I saw, um, ran by the Schwalbe booth. You know, we talked a little, little bit about tires already, but, you know, Schwalbe is kind of on the whole 2.6 inch, uh, bandwagon as well. But 
they have completely revamped their compounds on across all their tires. So they're calling it Addicts, A-D-D-I-X, because none of us can spell anymore. But uh, yeah, so they're promising, you know, there's different different compound formulations for different tires for different purposes. So like, you know, your cross country obviously is not going to be as soft a compound as like your trail, but they're promising better everything basically across the board. So, um, you know, the tires that are supposed to roll faster are going to roll faster. The tires that are going supposed to grip more are going to grip more. But mainly they were really emphasizing that durability across the board is uh, increased significantly. So, yeah, that's pretty much a rundown of uh, of the highlights of the trip for me. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I'll start with tires since we are just talking about Schwabe. So one of the brands that I sort of discovered by walking around there was a new tire company called Terravail. And they're not really new. They've been doing some tire stuff uh, for at least a couple of years now. I think they've announced some things um, and their stuff is still not available. But anyway, Terravail is a QBP company that's quality bicycle products. They are the largest distributor in the U.S. and they own a lot of other brands like Surly and Salsa and uh, they even have uh, 45 North, so they, they do tires uh, for that. But anyway, their TerraVail seems to be focused on, for mountain biking anyway, on the bikepacking market. And one of the first tires that they developed was the Sparwood, which was designed, basically they call it a Tour Divide tire. So that's like a very specific... <laughs> for the 50 people that do that. Right. It's a very specific uh, niche tire, but... One of the guys, Jay Peterberry, who's, you know, ultra endurance rider, um, always really competitive in the tour divide. He ran those tires last year, um, and claims that he ran the same set for the entire race, which is awesome. Uh, meaning, you know, they didn't wear down. He also claims he didn't get a flat at all, like front or rear, which is pretty awesome. So yeah, they were pretty stoked about those tires. Supposedly though, he's, for this year's race, he's planned to run like some gravel tires, like even skinnier tires. The Sparwoods are only like 2.2 inch and apparently that's not skinny enough for <laughs> Jay Peterberry. So the company also has a number of like plus tires too for bikepacking. And then they're, they're big too on the 2.6 inch width for their 29er tires. So they have a couple of those type of tires. I guess one, I don't have the names of those tires in front of me, but one is sort of a, an all-round plus tire, and the other one's a little bit more aggressive version of that. But then the company also has a, what they call a sand tire, and you don't see a lot of these these days. I feel like there used to be more tires that were marketed as sand, but this tire, it's it's wider than any of their other tires, so it's only a 27.5 by 3.0 to give it more flotation, but it's not again. It's not like a sand tire in the sense that you're gonna go ride on the beach with it. It's more for like the desert southwest kind of you know sand that you're gonna encounter in places like that. So it looked like a pretty cool tire for sure. All these tires they're saying are gonna be available in July of this year, uh, which is still a little ways off. So we'll see. Another tire company that I stopped by was Vittoria. And one of their newer tires is called the Gato, which is a, it's a fast rolling mud tire. So it's designed for cross country racing in the mud. 
which is again kind of it's it's pretty niche, but it's cool that we have this stuff available now and that people are making tires for really niche stuff. But what what makes it a mud tire is basically they have these these channels that go the full circumference of the tire. So if you look at the tire, they're like these straight lines that just go right down the tire. And supposedly that makes it clear mud really well. And then the the knobs on the tire itself are all like aggressively siped. So like they have they have these slits in them that make them really grippy on the surface, make them deflect a lot so that you can grab onto like wet rocks and roots and stuff better. So that tire, again, it's like a cross-country race tire. It's, it's 2.2 inches wide, but for a really specific purpose. The company is also doing wheels now. They've been doing wheels, I guess, for at least a year or two now uh, that I know of. And one of their newer wheels is a what they're calling the Race 29, and it's a tubular wheels, wheel set which is kind of unique. Um, mostly, again, this is mostly targeting racers. Not a lot of, you know, regular mountain bikers run tubular tires. But if, you, if you're into that or you need that, then they have a wheel set for you. And these carbon rims, they're, the other thing that's unusual about them is they're using graphene as an additive. And graphene is like one of these wonder materials of, you know, the, the 2000s. Where it's like, like nanotubes. Exactly. Exactly like nanotubes. I think it's related somehow. So nanotubes are like tubes. Graphene is, it's like a two dimensional thing. Like it's one atom thick. It's like a sheet of carbon. So anyway, they started adding it, it to the resin that is baked on top of, you know, your carbon fiber. So they tried adding it and they found that, you know, it improved lateral stiffness pretty significantly in the rims. And so. Um, this is their first wheel set that uses that, but it sounds like they're going to start sprinkling the magic graphene dust into more of their products, including some of their tires. Some of their tires also already have graphene in them. So, uh, that's, that was interesting to learn about. I also stopped by Gore Mountain Bike Wear, or I guess it's called Gore Bike Wear. They, one thing that I was interested to learn is that they actually have mountain bike specific chamois in some of their clothing. So, I was always surprised to learn that a lot of like saddle companies, they don't make road and mountain bike specific saddles. I think some of, more of them do now, but in the old days, it was just like, here's a saddle and you know, if it feels good on your butt, then you should use it <laughs> for whatever you want to use it for. That should still be the case. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's true. That's true. But Gore claims to have some science behind or some, you know, studies and data that, that they've done to show that because mountain bikers and road bikers sit in a different position for the most part, they have different needs when it comes to, you know, where padding should be and stuff like that. So Gore has a mountain bike specific chamois in their bike shorts. And I also saw uh, one of the shorts that, that had this mountain bike specific chamois in it was a set of bib baggies. So it's a, it's a pair of bib shorts, but they're baggy. So for mountain bikers, they're not like super baggy. Like I saw them hanging up and it didn't register initially that these were baggies. They just look like bib shorts. Uh, so they're, they're not like super baggy or super flowy, but they are really lightweight. And I'm a huge fan of wearing bib shorts. I wear bib shorts under my baggies, um, just because it, 
you know, it keeps the chamois in place, which is really important. You don't want it like riding up or down or, you know, getting out of position while you're riding. And then also I wear them just to, just to cover my butt crack, really, you know, <laughs> like, like the more I sweat and the more I ride, like the more my shorts start riding down and, and my jersey starts riding up. And so whoever's behind me gets a good view, especially since I don't wear a camelback. So there's, there's nothing, nowhere to hide. <laughs> so that, that's pretty cool. I also saw the Niner Rip 9 RDO Push Edition. So Niner's working with Push Industries to tune the Push 11.6 shock uh, to work with the Niner RDO, or sorry, Rip 9 RDO. It's a lot of acronyms. But yeah, the bike looked really awesome and sounds like Niner may be working on coming out with a, another long travel 29er in the future to sort of fill the hole where the WFO left off. Or I guess I guess maybe it would be the WFO, but it would have more travel. But anyway, it's cool to see Niner focusing on that, on suspension tech and getting, you know, high performance suspension stuff dialed uh, for their platform. I stopped by Feedback Sports and these guys make bike stands and bike storage stuff and tools and all kinds of things like that. A lot of the stuff we've seen before, uh, Michael Paul did a really good article on one of the repair kits or home mechanic kits that Feedback makes that is really, really nice. And then we, like here in the office, we have one of their work stands that's, I mean, this thing is, it's serious. I knocked it over yesterday by accident and like everybody jumped because the thing <laughs> is like so heavy and like heavy duty. Uh, so they make really nice stuff. But one of the things I hadn't seen from them was some of their bike storage solutions and they have they have this th- this little like hinge that you attach to your wall that has a hook in it. It's hard to explain but like you open the hinge up and then this little hook folds out. You can put your bike on it and then because it's on a hinge you can like push the bike so that the handlebars are touching the wall. Unlike, you know, a lot of a lot of us have the hooks on our walls and like your bike sticks out. It's almost like your bike is like riding up the wall. So it's, you know, as far out as your seat is and you're going to be bumping into it all the time. So this lets you like slide it to the side and, and it also makes it easier if you have multiple bikes. So it's almost like a poster rack at Walmart, you know, like when you, (laughs) like how they can store a ton of posters, right? In a small space. So you can store a ton of bikes with this thing. And the hinge is, is like 20 bucks or 25 bucks or something super cheap. And you buy, you know, a whole wall full of them and store all your bikes that way. So that was pretty cool. I stopped by Live Bikes, which we haven't done a lot with, with Live ever, I don't think. Um, but you know, they make women's mountain bikes and their newest bike is called the Embolden. And it's, it's sort of like a price point bike. It's an aluminum bike. You know, some of their other stuff is like really nice high end carbon, you know, racy bikes for women but this is more geared toward trying to make mountain biking more accessible for women you know in terms of pricing so one of the bikes that i saw i think it was the top of the line embolden top of the line still though is only 2100 bucks it's got uh like 120 130 millimeters of suspension travel a dropper post got everything that you need a one by drivetrain one by 11 and the bike only weighed, it weighed under 30 pounds. It was like 29.1 pounds. I brought my little scale, my feedback sports scale and verified that it is 29.1 pounds. 
uh, in like a size medium or small. But anyway, it's, it's a lightweight bike for a really good price, and it's got you know dropper posts and everything that you need to have fun on the trail. So that's pretty cool. And then I think I think Aaron mentioned it. Maybe the spot mayhem. Uh, that was a bike you guys saw at Outer Bike um, and got some info on. Um, but I, I saw it as well in person and it's, it's pretty cool. It's got, again, a unique suspension platform, something they call the living link, which is like a carbon leaf spring that kind of attaches things together. It looks really cool and I, I'm interested to see how it actually rides, but yeah, it looks, it looks beautiful. So that was cool. And then, yeah, I think that was it for me. Awesome. So a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. Like I said, we were only there for for two days, but uh, the festival's four days long, and probably could have spent all four days there wandering around the festival grounds if yeah, if we had wanted to. But yeah, if you guys have never been to Sea Otter and you're interested in going, you know this is not just an industry trade show. This is open to everybody, so it's it's really cool. You know, it's my favorite trade show of the year. It's outside. It's California. Um, it's early in the season, so for like the past five years, I've had really beautiful weather. Um, now that I say that, it'll probably rain and be really shitty next year. <laughs> but there's a ton of racing going on as well, uh, so it's kind of like the big kickoff to the to the to the riding season in North America. I mean, there there's campgrounds there, so it's it's a it's pretty cool. It's like a you know, it's got a family friendly vibe to it. Like, you know, we saw how many kids did we see? Just like, yeah. you know, like packs of kids riding around <laughs> on really nice bikes. You know, you'd see like, you know, five little groms riding around on intenses and in Santa Cruz and stuff. Just no parents in sight, just doing their own thing. And there's cross country racing. There's an enduro race. There's a downhill race. I mean, again, it's not like they're not the most amazing trails, but it's fun. I mean, there's road racing, cyclocross. There's an e bike race now. There's like a Brompton folding bike race. So, yeah, uh, it's just a good time checking out bike stuff, drinking beer, getting sunburned. So if if you've ever been curious about going to Sea Otter, it's, it's, it's worth the trip for sure. Yeah, definitely. And like I said at the beginning, if you want more info about some of the things that we talked about, be sure to go to Single Tracks and search for our Sea Otter coverage. Uh, we have... Articles about pretty much every topic uh, that we covered in this discussion with photos and lots of other stuff. So that's all we got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.